Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Well, it's Valentine's week, right? And, uh, you know, if you and your significant other want to have a romantic date night, man, rent that film and watch it and put on the fire. Uh, you never know what's going to happen there, you know. Sheesh, it's awesome stuff. Anyways, uh, my name is Pastor Bucky. Welcome to Watermark. We're so excited you guys are here this morning, especially if you're here for the first time. Welcome. We've been in this series called House Church. And, uh, you know, that, that line there, Jimmy, you know, come home. You know, that's the longing of his wife, not that he wins the championship, but that he comes home because he's the hero of his kids. He's the champion of her heart. Bring it home, Jimmy. That's, that's where the real fight is, right? You know, uh, that's where the real battle is. That's where the real victories are won when we bring it home. And that's kind of Paul's prayer in the book of Ephesians. He's praying, and we've been praying this verse in our church for 30 days. I challenge you to pray Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. Uh, It's Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus, and his prayer is really kind of a house church prayer. He's praying that whatever has happened in the heavenly realms, in terms of our relationship with God, the vertical relationship, the blessings he's given us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus would actually come home, would actually be inside of our lives. And, and we've taken and said, you know, the, the things that happen at Watermark, the worship that we share, we just had an amazing time of worship, talking about building our house on the love of God. We've just prayed and worshiped, and we're going to preach God's word, and we have community and fellowship, and we all smile, and we hug each other, and we do all this wonderful stuff on Sunday. But guess what? After Sunday's over, where does it go? Does it stay here till the next week when we come in, or does it go home with us? Do we take the worship home to our families, our housemates, our relationships? Do we take the word of God home and do we proclaim it to ourselves during the week? Do we bring the prayer home and do we pray over our neighborhoods and our children and our marriages and our our workplaces? Do we take the joy home and share it with others, the generosity? See, Paul says whatever happens in here needs to happen out there. And he prays passionately, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. If you want to hear more about that, it's on our podcast. You can listen to the the message on house church prayer. But that is his passion. And please catch up with us if you didn't see that. But we're going to finish up our series today in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul is going to remind us again. He's going to bring it right to the home, right to the family, and say this is what it looks like. To bring the church home into your marriages, into your friendships with your roommates, into your sibling relationships, with your parents, all those relationships are so critical to God because that's where the real battle is happening. And God wants us to have victory, right? He wants us to bring his life home. And so Paul's going to say today, here's the premise of our talk today in Ephesians chapter 5. If we want to bring the church home, we want what happens here to come into our daily lives, we have to check the signs along the way. 
We have to check the signs along the way. Nobody leaves Watermark Church and drives directly to his house, unless you live maybe right across the street here, and never looks at a sign along the road, right? I think I have 14 signals and several signs that I pass by when I get in my car and I go here to my house. I live about 10 to 15 minutes from here. I could get home in five minutes if it wasn't for all that stuff, right? Don't you wish you had a clicker like this that you could just punch and it would be green all the way home? I think some of the ambulance people have that. At least I know somebody who worked on an ambulance that said, yeah, that's pretty fun. We get to change the lights so we can go run right through. But that's not the way we want to do it, right? We want to uh, go home as fast as we can. Last week in the Super Bowl, you guys want maybe after we had a great chili and a, a wonderful service and a chili cook-off, you wanted to get home as fast as you could, but you had to stop on the way home and yield to the signs, right? We all do that. We all yield. We all submit to the traffic laws of California, at least most of us, for the common good of everybody else. We know if we don't yield, there's going to be crashes. There's going to be breakdowns. People are going to get hurt. It's going to be a mangled mess. And guess what? If you don't check the signs before you go home and walk into the house, there's going to be crashes. There's going to be accidents. It's going to be a mangled mess. Believe me, been there, done that. When I haven't checked the signs and I've walked in and thrown my agenda and my you know, way around the house, it hasn't gone well for me with my wife and my kids. There's a mess. There's an accident. There's a breakdown. It doesn't go well. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, we've been called to yield. That's the sign in front of your house door. Wherever you live, an apartment with roommates, whether you're married or not, whether you have kids or not, there's a yield sign. If you are a Christ follower, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, there's a yield sign on your front door. This is the way Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 5. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit, yield. Submit or yield to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, yielding. Uh, to the spirit in your life that God has placed as a gift, the Holy Spirit in your heart, yielding to the Holy Spirit is not an option. It's not something you say, hey, maybe I'll, I'll try this road if I want to, right? I'll, I'll stop if I want to. I'll just go through because it's up to me. No, no, that's, this is a command. In the Greek, this is a command. It is a corporate command to all of us. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the paid professionals, the priests, the guys that are, get paid to do this, it's for every one of us as a follower of Jesus Christ. You are commanded to yield to the Holy Spirit before you walk in the door, right? And it's actually a continual idea. It's not a, one, once, a one-time thing. This is in the passive. And so it says you are constantly to be yielding, to be submitting, to be surrendering to the Spirit of God in your life. So Paul says it is a continual act of yielding. 
and the primary evidence of yielding. You, how do I know if I'm yielding? How do I know if I checked the sign before I walked in the door? How do I know this? What's the evidence? Well, obviously what comes out of my mouth. How am I speaking to the person when I walk in the door? What are my words being used for? Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Uh, what's my spirit like? Am I full of joy? Or am I full of angry and control? Be filled with joy. There's an evidence. And guess what? Am I thankful? Am I thankful to be home? Am I thankful after the end of the day I get to come home and greet and be with the people? Am I thankful for the gifts that I have in my house that night? Or am I burdened and frustrated because I didn't get enough during, done during the day? But I think the primary evidence of filling is submissive love. So what I want to camp on today, the primary evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit, if you actually yield and you walk into the house, right, are you full of submissive love? Are you looking to the needs of others? Are you just looking for your own needs when you walk in the door? Here's a question to talk to your spouse about, talk to your roommates about, to talk to God about. When I walk in the door, am I full or am I empty? Well, of course I'm empty, Bucky. I worked hard to bring home the bacon, man. Do you know how, how many dragons I slayed out there? Do you know what I did all day so we could live in this stinking house? Do you know what I've done? Do you know how much it costs to drive this car I drive and pay the rent I do? Of course I brought home the bacon. I'm empty, and it's time for somebody to make me full. Crash! <laughs> Challenge! Trouble, yield, yield, yield. And that's the problem. We go to the world and we try to get filled up with so much stuff that will never fill us, so we come home empty and we expect our spouses to fill us up. We expect our children to fill us up. We expect Fox News or CNN to fill us up. We expect the music vibe to fill us up. We're trying to get filled because we're coming home empty. And the Bible says, no, no, no. The real game starts when you walk in the door. You're supposed to be coming home full. That's when the game really begins. All the rest of it is just preparation for when you walk in the door. Ben Appleby, you think church is hard? This is easy for Ben. When Ben walks in the door, he's got seven kids. That's my associate pastor who was just up here. Seven kids, seven and below. That's when the real game begins is when Ben Appleby walks in the door. Right? That's when the real, are you coming home empty or full? And how do you fill yourself? What does that look like? How do you prepare yourself to walk in that door? You know, Rick Warren, who's a great pastor, Saddleback Church, he would put a milk jug in front of his door, front door. And before he walked in, he would write down his anxieties and he would drop them in that jug he would say, I'm leaving my anxieties and my worries at the door because when I walk in, it's about being filled for my kids and my wife. I had a buddy of mine that was having anxiety attacks because he was having such financial struggle and people in the marketplace were ripping him off. And he was just, I was praying with him. He's been one of my friends, guys that I have discipled. And what he started to do is when he would drive home, he would stop in, in, in the garage, and he would grab his steering wheel, and he would squeeze it as hard as he can, and he said, God, this is, I'm anxious, I'm, I'm fearful, and then he would let it go, and he said, I, I'm going to let you have control. 
before I walk in that door. I don't want to bring this anxiety and control into my family. And he would squeeze it over and over again until he released it and he would walk in the door. What is it for you? Maybe it's a walk around the block. Maybe you need to take a walk in the park on the way home and pray and ask God to fill you because when you walk in the door, it's really powerful what is first said and what is first done. Maybe a phone call. I mean, I know for me and Kathleen, I phone call ahead sometimes. Kathleen say, hey, can I pick anything up? Do you need anything? How can I help you? And I'm starting to prepare myself to take off the big pastor, I'm in control uniform. I call the shots to I'm in here in the door to serve. How can I serve you? How do you prepare yourself? Maybe it's tag teaming together, right? Hey, the first 30 minutes are for your fill-up time. I got the first 30 minutes, you take a break, then I'll take 30 minutes on the Stairmaster or whatever. Do you tag team? Do you get together? Or do you walk into the door empty and angry and demanding and frustrated? That happens so much because we're trying to get filled with things that will never fill us up. Paul says, walk into the door, not empty, wanting the house to fill you because it never will. Walk into the door full. Jesus modeled this for us on the last night of his life, right? We're going to take communion here as an act of worship at the end of our service here. But on the night that Jesus had the Passover meal with his disciples, they were in a house in an upper room. And Jesus walked into that upper room and he should have been empty. The, the challenges that he had faced with the religious leaders of his day, fighting the Pharisees all day long, being rejected by the crowds that at the beginning of the week shouted that he was awesome, Hosanna, but they were ultimately going to reject him. His disciples that he taught for three years, hey guys, keep your eyes on the ball. They're, walk, they're walking in the room saying, hey, who's the greatest? Who's the best? They walk into the room empty, trying to fill their lives with earthly trophies. Who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom? Jesus knows they're going to de- uh, Judas is going to betray him. They're all going to deny him and walk away. He should be so empty, and yet he walks into the room, and he's full. Look at what it says. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go back to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. In the Greek, you can say he loved them to the full. Jesus was filled with the Father's love when he walked into that upper room, even knowing the betrayal, the denial, and the crucifixion ahead of him. And so what did he do? Did he say, hey, guys, you know what? I'm going to take some time out here because I'm going to have a tough day. You know, you guys need to serve me. Where's the lamb? You know, where's the stuff? You know, what are you guys doing? Did he yell at him? Did he get all frustrated? Did he say, it's all about me? Did he just exit and yell and walk out of the house and say, I can't deal with you guys anymore? No, he was full, and he showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God, and he was returning to God. That's the big story, guys. You guys have come from God, and you're returning to God. Because of the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ. That is your story. That is your significance. That is your security. That's where your feeling comes from. It comes from knowing who you are in Christ. And walking that out when you walk in the door. 
He knew that. He was secure in that. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to the place. Do you understand, disciples? Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. I am the Lord of all. I am the wisest teacher that ever lived. And yet, learn this lesson. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash each other's feet. Do you come home with a towel and basin? Or do you come home with technology and say, where's the clicker, man? I need to fill up. Where, where, where's, where's the refrigerator, man? I got to fill up. Where's the beer, man? I got to fill up. You know, where's the computer screen? I got to fill up. Don't, I don't have time right now to talk about that. I need to fill up. You know, where, where's, what are you making for dinner? What's happening? Why aren't you doing this? Do you come home with that or do you come home full? And saying, how can I serve you? Do you pick up a towel and basin when you walk in the door? Why is this so important? You know, research, psychological research in marriage counseling. Do you know what the most, two most important minutes in a marriage day are? Do you know the two most important minutes in a family day are? It's not what you say before you go to bed at night. It's not that you have your Wheaties when you get up in the morning and get the right breakfast. The two most important days or what happened, two most important minutes of what happens when you walk in the door. Those are the most two most important minutes in the day of a marriage, a house, a family, a relationship. Are you, are you walking in that door empty or full? It sets the tone for the rest of the evening. What will happen and what will the posture be? Jesus says, I came in this door and I grabbed the talon basin. I washed your feet. You also should do that each for each other. Why? Because it's demeaning. Because I'm going to get beat down if I do this. My life, my, my night's going to be terrible if I do this. It's just, no, because you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed if you do this. Let me, let me tell you what my married, premarital counselor pastor, Pastor Mike Ryan said to me, I've never forgotten it, and I have been blessed. He said, Bucky, I want you to remember one thing. Sex, it begins in the kitchen. Hey, you can take that one. What are you talking about? Sex is about my body, how good I look, what I wear, how happy I am. No, Bucky, sex begins in the kitchen. You come home, and you pick up a talent basin, and you start doing dishes, you, you, you go out there and take care of those little dachshunds and run around and be happy because your life, wife loves them so much. You bring her an iced tea. You ask her how you can serve her. And guess what? You will be blessed. And guess what? For how many years I can take out? Guys, take that one to the bank. The sexiest thing a woman sees is a man with a towel and basin. Not with technology and all the stuff in their hands. They're looking for a guy that's coming home that's willing to serve, that's humble, and that wants to lift them up. And my marriage, it's worked. So that's for free. But that's from Jesus. He said, if you do these things, you will be blessed. This will turn your house upside down, guys and gals. It turned the first century world upside down. Submit to one another. 
We all want to say, oh, yeah, submit. That's my wife's word. (laughs) You submit to me, honey, because I'm the head of the household. We have to remember before Paul ever even used that word in the context of a woman, he used it in the word in the context of all disciples of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in the original Greek, it says, submit to one another our reverence for Christ, and then it says, women to their husbands. It doesn't even use the submit work. It's implied in the original Greek. So we got to get it right. Submission is a discipleship term. It's not just a term for women in the home that we beat them down with. It's a discipleship term. Submission means to yield, to consistently put the well-being of another person above yourself. Do you walk into the house and say, how can I put the well-being of my children above myself, my wife above myself, my neighbor above myself? That's submission. This was nothing revolutionary for women and children in the first century. Did you know that? Do you know that women and children in the first century, that was their job to submit. They had no rights. They were viewed legally as property. There was no rights. There was no voting rights or privileges for women or children in the first century. They were property. They were expected to submit. The, 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 the revolutionary call on this is to the pateras familias, the head of the family in the first century, and that was all male. Only men could hold property. And so this is a revolutionary car to the man of the household in the first century because he held all the power and all the authority. Life and death were in his hand. Literally, life and death were in the power of the head of the family, the pateras familiar's hand. He had the ability to do whatever he wanted to. Now, if he wanted to divorce his wife, he could divorce his wife. Just go ahead and divorce her. There was no safety net for her, whatever. As a matter of fact, the only thing that he owed to his wife in the first century was shelter, clothing, and the opportunity to bear him children. That was the common norm. It was the common norm. As a matter of fact, one author at that time, a, a, a Roman author, said, you know, for pleasure we have handmaids, for sex we have concubines, and for heirs we have wives. Our wives are to bear us heirs and children. That's their job. You know, that's what it was all about. And kids, if you had a baby that you didn't like, maybe they didn't come out right, maybe you wanted a boy and you got a girl, you could just go out and expose them and kill them. Infant exposure was totally practice. Go to a place, turn them out. And as a matter of fact, in Ephesus, uh, you would go up to the top of the hill. There was a place back there, and you'd turn the children out. That was, that's where many of the sex slaves for the temple came from. Because families would just turn unwanted children out. This is the world that Paul writes this revolutionary call. And the revolutionary call is for love. No author would have told husbands to love their wives in the first century. Only Jesus Christ. The revolutionary call of humble, submissive love came from the Christian call and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is revolutionary. It turns the household upside down to use your power and authority, not to dominate, control, and get your needs met, but to use your power and authority to serve and love others. This is what Paul is saying to the household, to the family. The daily posture of a disciple is to humbly serve others, to pick up a towel and basin and wash others' feet. Husbands and wives, Paul takes it right 
to the marriage. And he says, wives, yes, submit to your husbands. If you look at this passage, there's twice as much written to the men as it is to the women. Women submit. That's your role. You know that role. That's what you're supposed to do. But why? Because of fear? Because you're subservient? Because you don't have as much worth as the man? Or because he's going to hurt you if you don't submit? No. Submit because he is awesome in love. Respond to his love. Wives, submit to your husbands as you would to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the world and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, beautiful, lovely, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body, just as Christ does the church for all members of his body. See, Paul is using the gospel, the death of Jesus Christ for his people, the unity of the church out of that as the example for the family. Husbands, take the lead in love. Walk in the door with the talon basin. Die to yourself and serve your wife as Christ served the church. Care for her needs just as you would your own body. I'm pretty much in touch with my body, guys. When my stomach hurts, I feed it. When I'm tired, I go to sleep. When I'm excited, I go get some entertainment, right? I know my body and I know, do I know my wife's needs as well as mine? Am I in touch with what, what makes her happy, how I care for her, what I should do for her. This is a revolutionary call to pick up a towel and basin and put your wives above yourself when you walk in the door. Husbands are called to sacrifice and serve like Jesus. Are you making your spouse? It's another question. Are you making your spouse a better person when you walk in the door? When you walk in the door, does your spouse become a better person? Are you using your words your actions, and your availability to lift them out. Or your roommate, or whoever you're coming home to, your parents, are your actions and attitudes making them, lifting them up, making them a better person or not? That's a great question. That's the house church call, husbands and wives, and parents and children, right? The same type of thing. Children obey for sure. Children honor for sure. This is from the Old Testament. This is a commandment that comes with a blessing. But why? Why? Because you're parented well. Because you're honored and loved by your parents. Your parents, as they honor you and love you, train you, instruct you, build you up, you are to respond to that by honoring them. How do we train our children up? Do we let the school, is it the school's job to train your children up in the Lord? Is it the Sunday school teacher's job to raise your children in the Lord? No, it's your job to disciple your children in the Lord. It says we are to not exasperate our children, but bring them out. That word bring them out is the word nurture. It's the Greek word nurture, to draw them out, to nurture them, to allow them to grow up to be everything that God created them and shaped them to be. Nurture them in the way that they should go in the training and instruction of the Lord, right? This is a love word. Out of that comes training. Time spent teaching them, opening the word, showing them how finances work according to God's word. 
Showing them how we work together as in a family with love and respect according to God's word. Teaching them about the things in the world that might harden them according to God's word. Showing them who God is, that he's a loving father and he's provided for them. Teaching them to worship all the things you teach your kids about the Lord and model for them. Train them and discipline them, right? Discipline is a part of this. Discipline in a loving family produces great returns. I'm so thankful that my father disciplined me. He didn't have to do it often, but what he did, it made a huge difference in my life. Why? Because we had a trusting relationship. I knew he loved me so much that the discipline I understood ultimately, even though it was harmful, hard, hard at times, harmful to my ego, but I knew it was for my good. And so this is the call. Parents, you need to be involved in the lives of your children. If you come home empty, how can you be in the game? If all you want to do is watch TV and fill yourself up and let your kids do whatever they want to do, get on their technology, hey, I'll give them technology to raise them. What's going to happen with that? You've got to come home full. You've got to be in the game. You've got to be ready to respond to what God's doing so we can energize our kids versus exasperating them. We exasperate them with our anger, with our emptiness, with abandoning them and not being available to them. No, they need us in the game so we can be full to give them the counsel, the instruction, and the consistent discipline of the Lord. This is God's call to the house church. This is how we bring it home, by allowing God's Spirit to fill us so that we can pour out into our wives, our children, our roommates. What does that look like practically? Well, I just want to give you one tool that's really been powerful for Kathleen and I, and maybe you have this tool, you've looked at this rule. This is a great way to bring love into your family system. There's a book that's been written. I think it's one of the best books. I think if you're doing premarital work, you ought to read this book. Uh, this is a great book for Catherine and I to read. They have, it's called The Five Love Languages. It's written by a man named Gary Chapman. And it takes love and it breaks it down in such a practical way. Is how can I come in and love the people in my home? The way that they need to be loved the way that they need to be served. Five love languages. We all speak a different kind of a love language. I encourage you to get the book. If you want me to send this to you, I'll email this to you. It's so fun to get together and learn each other's love languages as a family. My three girls, to learn their love language, to learn Kathleen's love language, to learn how I can speak love to them, and for them to learn how they can speak love to me. And so as, as I do this, I equip myself to come home and say, how can I serve my wife? Oh, when I first got married, I totally had no clue, guys. First Mother's Day, you know what I bought my wife? Massage? Did you get, him a, get her a massage? Maybe, maybe a little time away? Maybe, maybe a, a nice bottle of perfume or something? No, I bought her a barbecue. <laughs> I mean, isn't, that, isn't that what every woman wants for Mother's Day? A barbecue so she can cook for me? Right? I had no clue. I loved myself more than I loved her. I had to learn how to love her. And now on Mother's Day, I know she loves words of affirmation. I get all the kids together, and we go around and we affirm her, and she just gets so filled up because that's one of her love languages. She loves words of affirmation. She loves acts of service. So I ask her how I can serve her. She loves massages. I get her a massage and some time off. You know, we got to learn how to love well. Do you know the needs, the love needs of your significant person, your dating, your children, your spouse? Do you know how to love them well? 
This is a great book to teach you. How do I bring it home practically? I learn how to love. I pick up a talon basin and I wash the feet of the person in my house that God's calling me to love. That's what I want to challenge you with. That's what we've been teaching this whole series. How do I bring the church home? Right? By building, we worshiped, building my life on the love of Christ. I will build my life upon your love. That means walking in the door with a talon basin and saying, honey, the first two minutes, how I love you, hug her, whatever, hug him, and how can I serve you? Not what can I take from you, what can I get from you, but how can I serve you? Is that the posture when you come home? Really ask yourself this morning, is that the posture when you come home? Because we want to celebrate the fact that when Jesus came, he came with a talon basin. And as the band is going to come up and we're going to end our time in a time of worship, um, we're going to take communion. And we're going to remember how God came to fill us up with his love. See, that's the one thing that helps me come home full versus empty is when I get in touch with how much God has loved me. Do you know that Jesus, here's a great study, you know Jesus loved you with every one of these loves? Do you let Jesus love you with words of affirmation? Have you ever opened the Bible and let Jesus speak to you and say, you're my beloved child? I died for you. You are forgiven by me. I've chosen you. Do you ever let the words of Jesus speak to your very heart, his words of affirmation? Do you, do you know that Jesus gave you quality time with him? None of us want to take it. God instituted the Sabbath. Do you know that God instituted the Sabbath not to, not to burden you, but actually to give you quality time so you could allow God to love you and say, I got your work handled today. Nobody takes a Sabbath because we're so busy having to do to prove our worth. Jesus has given you Sabbath rest for you to take a rest and be alone with him and have quiet with him and let him nourish your soul. Did Jesus give any gifts to you? It says in Ephesians that every spiritual gift in the heavenly realms has been given to you in Christ Jesus at this table. Be thankful for all the stuff he's poured out upon you. Acts of service. Did Jesus do anything to serve you? Did he meet you at your very need when he gave his life on the cross? Physical touch. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Are you thankful for the fact that you feel his presence in your life when you worship and you're with his family. See, Jesus has done all this for you. He says, be full now. Allow that to sink in and come out of your life when you come home and fill the house with my love. Let's bow our heads together. This morning, Father, we thank you for everyone who's come here today. There's a lot of people in this room that feel empty. They feel broken. They feel tired trying to put food on the table, make ends meet raise their kids, all the demands that the world puts upon us. And Jesus, we want to acknowledge that our fullness does not come from any of that. It comes from your love. Help us to get deeper in touch. I pray that in our hearts we would be strong enough to know you by faith and to grasp how wide and long and deep is your love for us at this table as we take communion, your body and blood poured out for us Fill us with that love. Fill us with that security and that significance so we can go out into the world and be full to love. Bless the marriages in this room. Lord, anoint them with your love, your healing, your peace so that they can come together and be on the same page and love one another. Lord, I I pray for the, the children in this church. 
I pray that you would bless them with parents that can pour out into their lives so that they would grow up in the training and instruction of the Lord for all the children. I pray for those who are children of adult parents. We're adults now. Help us to honor our parents as I honor mine and thank them for raising me up and giving me so much. Help us to be honoring and blessing to our parents. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the cross. We accept your body and blood now as we worship you and we praise you because you are a good, good father. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close in worship, we have four tables here. We feel free to go to the communion as God calls you. Take a piece of bread, dip it, and celebrate God's love language in your life. He loves you that much. Let's respond to him in worship this morning. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.